world. This is 90.1 KPFT Houston. Welcome home. This is Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, on the air. Tuning you into the Latino literary renaissance in all its splendor. Interviews, teatro, rap, fiction, poetry, memorias, composer spotlights, and more. 
always mass. Thank you so much for tuning Thank in to you. installment of Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say. And we've got a special night tonight. Yes, we do. We are actually going to be broadcasting our first interview with one of the presidential candidates. This is also a preview of a new program that we have coming up. Now, don't get scared, Nuestra Palabra listeners. It doesn't mean that Nuestra Palabra, the radio show that you've come to know and love for... We're going on 19 years in March. Yeah, I thought it was 20 already. Because it started on the year 2000. I've got to confirm that. I'll confirm yeah. it. So it's either 19 or 20. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so do not get scared, ladies and gentlemen, and think that Nuestra Palabra, the radio show that has been the seminal base for our movement, is going away. No. It just means that we cannot get to every single issue that concerns our community. So starting March 12th and every Thursday at 2 p.m. after that hey, live, all right. we'll have Latino politics and news. And that'll be so this interview hitting up. Exactly. with the presidential candidate is a preview of what to expect for that. Exactly, especially with the uh, presidential elections coming up. All the races here in Texas and locally, we want to make sure that the issues that we care about in the community are at the fore of the discussion. And that you have a space for that and in a space for art, literature, and for the not to bleed or want to take space from another, um, but that each has its own um, channel, medium, platform, and opportunity to go as deep and as far as it needs to. Exactly. And it really comes down to um, a matter of space and time. Right. That's it, because uh, we, we can't even keep up with all the writers that are now out there. The Latino um, Book Awards last year, they reported that they had over 2,000 entries. Hmm. That that's that means that there's been I mean, at least... That's not... I mean, that's... that's if not we even got every them book. every week, if we got one of those writers every week... We're looking at how many years is that? Because <laughs> it's 52 weeks in a year, right? And that's just that year. So, so 100 a year. <laughs> we can do about 100 a year, right, to a show. If that. Comfortably. If that. Comfortably. We could pack in three, but somebody may not read their work. <laughs> Somebody's work we not be, we won't be able to go in deep on. So two, comfortably. That's 100. What, that's another 10 years worth of program scheduling <laughs> right there? The you know till the yeah. following year and then another right possibly I mean, 2000. You know, ten years later we're talking about that yeah <laughs> so this, this is, is the need for it, yeah. this is going to be a great way to accommodate some of these other issues but more than anything it's going to be a great way to put the Latino issues on the radar of all the politicians of course we want to point out and Afro Latino can't forget exactly which can't we've forget. known are all in one word. We want to make sure that the whole yeah. country understands that all those words are baked in together. And but you know, sometimes, like, you know, no, no, it happens where it doesn't. No, you know? it, exactly. And we've got to explain it. So here we are then with our first interview with Tom Steyer, candidate for president. So then I would talk into it like last time, or? Yeah. How are you going to talk into this one? Um, are, are they calling right now? Uh, they're ready. And we are getting ready with that interview. It is coming up shortly right now. The wonderful thing about the radio station is that we pitch in all of us to Correct. make sure that yeah. we have this infrastructure yep. to get to this radio program so that we can do different types of programs that no one else does Diaz, throughout or? the day. And then, yeah. of course, I also, think... Also, you can check us out. Uh, we're streaming live right now on Instagram and on Facebook. Uh, we're on uh, Terrell Q. Terrell All Q kinds of platforms. On Facebook and Bootleg Like Jazz on Instagram. So definitely tell people about sure. us there. Go check us out. Show some love there as well. Beautiful. Check one, two. Check one. Yeah. yeah. And then what about me? Oh, I'm there, too. Cool. So then I, I hear them through my phone or... So, um, Great. We're going to get this off the ground okay. in any second. Not right now. We're having a few technical difficulties, 
Uh, the other thing I want to point out too is <laughs> one thing that happens is that typically we would have live live guests. We're having uh, uh, this is a call in with uh, Tom Steyer. I think one of the interesting things about radio is that we can either have people live. Uh, they're sometimes taped, sometimes call in. Right. But either way, I think there's a different there's a different nuance with radio, uh, especially if it's a political show or if it's something that has to do with um, with politics. Yeah. Awesome. Great. And yeah. the rest of the show, just want to talk a little bit about our, uh, our other guests. We got Frida Espinosa. So, uh, oh, perfect. Uh, just hit it. Also, awesome. playwright. Mexican born uh, artist. Oh, nice. uh, we're going to talk with her. So I'll just go ahead later. and dial him. And then right. we also have in the right. studio, um, who we're going to talk also with uh, with a little bit later, Thomas Aguilar and Guillermo de la Rosa. Memo. Hey, Jake. Uh, for the last few years, Thomas has been busy working on a disaster recovery for Living Hope hey, Wheelchair. Hey, Jake. Uh, it's association. Tony Thanks for your patience. And we're ready to go if you guys too are. Much, and, but and then we can just line right we will now. be yeah, talking to them. Okay, perfect. Uh, yeah, later. let me give it to Tom. So you definitely want to stick around. Hey, uh, we have to be uh, shout out to everybody who pledged. You got it. Uh, everybody Thanks who so supported us. Uh, the last pledge drive, we definitely made Hello. it and exceeded. Hi, hey, this is Tony uh, Diaz from so, Nuestra Palabra, uh, Latino you know, writers having their say. We're on the air with presidential candidate Tom Steyer. Thank you so much for calling in. We appreciate it. Tony, it's great to be with you. And first of all, I want to start off by commending you for bringing up the issues of racism at the last presidential campaign. And you said that every issue should be filtered to that. Before we dive into a, a deep look at how that translates into education for Latinos, let me ask you this. What does that mean in general, especially as, as issues come up and may or may not include Latinos, but should? Tony, I believe that in every single policy issue in the United States, there's an often unspoken but very important subtext of race and ethnicity. And if you don't talk about it and if you don't um, deal with it explicitly, then you don't solve the problem. And let me give you – an I mean, you know, people know that I'm someone who's serious about climate, but actually for – 15 years, I've dealt with climate, starting with environmental justice, starting with the impacts on human beings, with an awareness that the air and water are poisoned vastly disproportionately in black and brown communities. And when, when you talk about people's lives being affected, it's impossible to talk about climate policy without starting from the, with an awareness that there's a huge racial justice aspect to anything about environment, uh, clean air, clean water, or climate. And if, unless you address that, you don't come up with the right policy. You don't, you don't include the people whose uh, experience is most important. And basically, you do a disservice to everybody. No, of course we agree with that, too. And I think just here in Houston, the Manchester neighborhood is riddled through all that and brings us to our issue of education because if kids can't breathe right and are sick and they don't know why they can't concentrate in school. Now, I do want to get a little more specific in that the big issue is that maybe 3 to 4% of Latinos get PhDs. Not enough, not enough of them do. We're probably not going to solve that right now, but there's some big issues that can address that. Here's one specific one. So Betsy DeVos was appointed by Donald Trump as Education Secretary. Would you keep her and why or why not? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> Loaded question. <laughs> as far as I can tell, Betsy DeVos hates kids and hates education. No, I wouldn't keep her. Good grief. Look, my mom was a teacher in the New York public schools. After she retired, she went and taught prisoners at the Brooklyn House of Detention. I, my brother has been an advocate for at-risk children, overwhelmingly black and brown kids, for his entire life. That's just, he's managed to make a career out of that. I understand exact. I view education as an investment in our future prosperity, the, the productivity and prosperity of Amer of Americans. But I also look at it as a an investment in our future justice. Mm. So that if we aren't supporting from a very early age disadvantaged kids and giving them the chance to, to go as far as their talents and ambitions and work will take them, then we're legislating inequality for the next generation. So I view, you know, one of the 
key statistic that I keep in my mind all the time, Tony, is that the single biggest determinant of someone's success in our society is their third grade reading comprehension level. Mm. So when you talk to me about education, to me, it's almost, you know, I'm someone who believes absolutely in universal pre-kindergarten. Great. My brother's been telling me for 35 years, if you aren't investing in, in and supporting kids by the time they're three, you're probably too late. And if you're not doing it by five, you're definitely too late. And you know what? Taking I am the... a... No, go I'm ahead. sorry. Go ahead. But so to me, you're asking about Betsy DeVos. I have a completely different vision about what prosperity in America looks like. It looks like productive, well-supported, healthy, well-educated American citizens succeeding and making the country succeed together. It's not tax breaks for big corporations and rich people that you hope someday will trickle down to everybody else. That's That doesn't work. We've proved it doesn't work. That, in fact, <laughs> Mr. Trump's education policy is an anti-prosperity policy. It's not only it's an anti-justice policy. It just makes no sense for American people. Not that he cares, but no, no, no I would not. <laughs> that's a long answer to say no. Betsy DeVos would in the first instance. But but that that's vital now. Now to kind of take it back to higher education too. Of course, no one has even said the name Hispanic-serving institutions. Probably. I don't even want to say in any democratic debate ever, but they haven't. And a lot of academics and activists critique the designation in that it's it's something in name only doesn't really bolster community or edify our academics, intellectuals. What might you do to empower all of these Hispanic serving institutions, especially in places like Texas, where there's so many and they serve so many students? So let me say this, Tony, as somebody I'm from California, California is 40% Latino. Mm. It is impossible to think about leadership or humanity in California without thinking about Hispanic. So let me say this. My friend, some of the most outstanding leaders that I know in California in every walk of life, including politics and business, but also education, have come up through the community college system. And there are 2.2 million kids in California in community college right now. It is a gigantic system, and it's basically focused on preparing, uh, on serving kids from disadvantaged backgrounds it, it, in a variety of ways, both to get them into four-year institutions or to get them into skilled labor jobs or really or also to do making sure that they're really complete their high school education in the way that it should have been in the first place. So actually, I'm a gigantic believer in serving those kinds of institutions, the historically black colleges and universities, the Hispanic serving institutions, the ones that really work in the context of community. And, and, a, 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 yeah, love it. Especially... Huge proponent of it. And there's, it's almost the best money we can spend. And right here in Texas, the majority of Latino students are probably in community colleges. Uh, I know you got to get going. Let me ask you one last question, give you a little chance to brag. I know you've opened, uh, we're happy that you've opened your first Texas office here in Houston, Texas, in the barrio. Very cool. And uh, you've made some key investments in what, what I mean is cultural capital in that hiring Latinx folks and, you know, putting off your offices in our neighborhoods. Uh, what are some other investments you made and what are your hopes for the, for the Latino community? Well, I, let, let, if you'll excuse me, let me brag a little bit, and I apologize for doing that, Tony, but let me say this. In our campaign, our campaign is over half people of color. It's over half women. It's 30% LGBTQ. That's actually our campaign, and it reflects, I think, any organization that I'd be involved with. I don't know if you know this, but I have a long history, personally, through our church, of supporting immigrants to California without ever asking for papers. We've done this for 35 years through something called the Good Samaritan Program, which is obviously a reference to the parable in the Bible of the Good Samaritan who helps the wounded traveler by the side of the road. I've done that for 35 years. My wife was the head of the program, welcoming people from Mexico and Central America to San Francisco. I've given over 3 million bucks personally to hire lawyers to represent people who are under threat of deportation so they can get fair treatment under the law. I was the 
co-chair of the Latino Victory Selection in 2016 and 2018 because that was a way to recruit Latinos and Latinas to run for higher office and then support them in that. And we started a bank literally 15 years ago dedicated to economic justice, environmental sustainability, and supporting businesses owned by Latinos, black people, and women because the financial system is so unfair to them. And so I have a multi-decade history of working with and working hand-in-hand with the Hispanic community on progressive issues that specifically affect them and specifically affect all of us. Because from my standpoint, being unjust in immigration in a racist way is terrible for the people who are directly affected, and it's terrible for what the country stands for. And so every, it's, it's a mistake for every single person. Of course, it's specifically, if you're torturing children, of course, it, the kids bear the brunt of it and their parents bear the brunt of it. But everybody is implicated in that for every single American. Hey, this has been Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, interviewing Tom Steyer, candidate for president. Thank you so much for taking the time to call in. The KPFT author lecture series honoring Black History Month features Dr. Benjamin Talton author of In This Land of Plenty, about the work and influence of Mickey Leland on African politics. Tickets are available at $20 for the Saturday lecture and $20 for the Sunday roundtable at Brown Paper Tickets at kpftlectureseries.bpt.me. Tickets at the door on either day will be $25. For more information, please contact 713-526-4000 or email membership at kpft.org. You're listening to 90.1 KPFT Houston. And with Nuestra Palabra, you expect national issues, local issues, politics, art, and community. We've got two more guests coming at you. Of course, I want to thank Tom Steyer for calling in to talk about Latino issues. And who do you have to thank for setting that up? I uh, want to thank, of course, uh, Omar helped us set that up. Uh, you know, Shukran, Habibi. That's right. <laughs> Shukran, Habibi. And then we're also looking forward to having many of the other candidates. They've been invited as well. And our new show will be beginning at the end of March, March 12th. It'll be called Latino Politics and News, Thursdays, 2 p.m. Stay tuned for that. Of course, we always bring you the local issue and Giants making sure that the work in the community gets done. We've got one set of guests here in the studio with us. We are joined by Tomas Aguilar and Guillermo de la Rosa. Buenas tardes, ¿cómo están? Buenas tardes, bien. Gusto. And they are from Living Hope Wheelchair Association. Uh, Tomas is in charge of the discover, disaster recovery uh, for and fo- one of the founders for the organization. And then... Um, he's also in charge of Discovery Recovery Coordinator for the organization. Is that the right title? Yeah, disaster, um, anything related with disasters. Fantastic. And then, of course, a little later in the show, uh, for our last guest of the evening, we will be calling in to Frida Espinosa Miller, who was the playwright and one-woman performer for the powerful play Ursula, which was part of the stages theater scene muros festival which was awesome so uh right now well, i tell you what Damas, tell us a little bit about your organization living hope wheelchair association okay thank you um and i'm actually here with my colleague who's one of the actual founders uh guillermo de la rosa um yeah so living hope wheelchair association was started about 14 years ago um harris health had Due to budget cuts, they they cut a lot of the programs that help people with disabilities, specifically supplies like catheters, um, adult diapers, um, etc. So, and, and those cuts were implemented by the Harris County judges, or was it the federal funds, or who was that? Well, the cuts were implemented by um, Harris, the Harris Health System, the Harris County Health System, mm-hmm. due to budget cuts, and mm-hmm. so yeah. Fourteen years ago, so, hmm. so uh, with the government, they don't receive the money for the federal. So they call, they they see, they stop provide all medical supply like uh, wheelchairs, pipe, uh, diapers, uh, catheters, all things like people like in the wheelchair or with the other disability, 
they need it. So they don't provide people with, they don't have insurance, they don't have a Medicaid, they don't have, so it's where I started the, the association. Wow, mm. but that sounds like a real crisis yeah, though. It does. That, that's really uh, infringing on people's lifestyles, of course. Yeah. Yeah. This, Wow. Go ahead. Yeah, um, and the results um, this year we'll be celebrating our uh, quinceanera, our 15 years of existence. <laughs> Congratulations! Um, Thank you. And, and, and the great thing about so. the work here is uh, we're not taking place, and we can't take the place of uh, insurance, government, but we provide wheelchairs, manual electric wheelchairs, beds, supplies, uh, diapers, and... um, to anyone that shows up free of charge. So. Um, if you don't have insurance, don't have Medicare, Medicaid, um, we don't charge anything, and we help a lot of people every month, um, every day. People show up. Um, people are also generous in donating um, if they don't have use for their hospital bed, their their wheelchairs, whatever they have. So we fix it up, clean it up, and we give it away to people in need. But mm. people should know though that there's this need. So you're saying that's there's still a lot of Houstonians who then fall within the cracks of all these services. Yeah, it's, you know, every month I have maybe about three or four people they call, they have an accident at work or driver accident, they have uh, some charges, uh, 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 something like that. So uh, every day they call, I need uh, diapers, I need a wheelchair, I need a uh, catheter. So now I have uh, a lot. But when they're starting, it's very difficult because I, I don't know the companies they do. And they, I don't know nothing. So we start because I need this, the supplies. So I, I started doing our raffles and uh, selling rose. Wow. So now it's, I have a lot of, I have a two office. So this. Oh, that's great. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. yeah. Um, an interesting uh, part of it is, uh, yeah, we, we now have two small warehouses we, we, um, to help run our mission, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it's interesting because we have, uh, during the disasters, we have FEMA sending people our way. We have hospitals. We have insurance at not all of the majors. For Somehow we've gotten on their speed dial, so, like, we don't turn people away if they're in need. But you have to question, like, why are we, this small organization with one paid staff, why are we providing, you know, are we the safety net? Are we providing things that... It looks um, like you definitely stepped in when it was a need, and, and, like, that stands out. Yeah, so so our big question is, like, wait a minute, we do what we can, but also we need to question things, right? Who's behind mm -hmm. the policies that are creating this need, right? So that's another aspect of Living Hope's work, trying to uh, trying to enact policy change in the different areas, right? So we have a... we're. We're very active in a lot of different, um, especially when it comes to health, transportation, uh, disaster recovery. What are like the immediate goals, the immediate projects? Uh, uh, the so, is living hope. Yeah, so the, we have major programs. Major pro yeah. The, the program more uh, important is uh, medical supplies with the needed distribution, the medical supply even every second Wednesday. To in the office, uh, the other one is uh, I call a uh, promotores de calidad, it's, uh, yeah. cal quality life. No, eso es importante, claro. Yeah, it's uh, they the, in this program the quality life, the promotores de calidad de vida. This program is uh, have a lot of team because I have a two meeting in the month, every uh, second and and four uh, for uh, Tuesday or the month. So the uh, membership they want, so they sometimes they don't have money for 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 the buy a ticket for the metro lift. Mm. So I provide the 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 living hall provide the ticket with people they go into this this meeting. Mm -hmm. So and I have the other one wow. is like uh, visitas enfermos. Uh, when sometimes the hospital they call, I have a new patient. He have a spinal cord injury. So when I know I the uh, program they going, the people they going to visit, they want to do information for the living hope. If you they have a they need some uh, a toyer, if you is a criminal 
because uh, I give the all information to the new patient, to the new person, the living hope. That's great. Mm-hmm. I think what's powerful too is that you rose out of this uh, this necessity because there was a lack of funding, and you know the community inside out. Obviously, the irony is that you also your mission then is to let the powers that be understand the need, the needs for quality of life. Because you're right. Why is FEMA calling our community members? You know, they should be they should be helping you right. and coming up with ways. So it's important for them to hear you and and find out what what some ways that they can help help serve the community. Yeah, you know, sometimes I I tell them they are, the hospital they don't want to give 15 years ago the the supplies they call and and they say I have a patient. You can you help? Wow. With the wheelchair, with the diaper, with the catheter, with the other things. Because this wheelchair mm, is very expensive. But for insurance, this wheelchair new is $45,000. Yes. $45,000? That's wow. a car. Wow. Yeah. That That's a car. It's Down expensive. payment on a home. <laughs> Student yeah. loan. And we don't. We don't charge when um, we, we give them, you know, people come and they fill out a small form and we don't have insurance. Uh, we mm. Something Memo was just saying, though, um, I've learned in the two and a half years I've been with Living Hope is um, our program, uh, Quality of Life, um, we have, think about it, where in society can folks go and talk about these issues, right? With their peers and with others, we have Metro uh, Transit, they come and present, Harris Health will come and present. But there's very few spaces for folks to speak in the language of their choosing to come and, and talk about it. The second thing, which is very key with, um, I think so, um, and we talk about it, is isolation is really, really hard. Yeah. Imagine what memos, imagine being newly injured. You don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. You don't know where to go and all that. So we have uh, a, a network, informal network. We find out teams of people go and visit them. Oh, you guys reach out to them. them encouragement in you the go ahead and break that wall down. This is how you're going to bathe. This is how you're going to do your basic things. Yeah. And you're going to need help. Here's places where you can go. And, and then finally, come visit with, you know, come visit us and all that. And we support each other. Yeah. Right. So because otherwise, isolation is. is That's it's powerful. Yeah. So so tell people where your offices are and, and how to go to your website. Uh, our office is in 95. Uh, Westview Drive, Houston, Texas, 77055. You and said Westfield Drive? Westview. 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 Yeah, Spring yeah. Branch off Interstate 10 and, and Blaylock area, Spring Branch. Well, Spring Branch has a really big Latino population, yeah. mm-hmm. which it's not a, recognized as a Latino opportunity district. I, I know it's over 40% Latino. Uh, mm-hmm. So it, it is fascinating that you're there because that community is not on the radar when it comes to uh, appealing to Latino electorate, et cetera. So, but, but here's the thing. Um, our membership, they're everywhere, all over Houston. Especially when Hurricane Harvey hit, we were everywhere, all over the, the city. We just happened to have the, the two offices, warehouses right there. But actually, our membership, they're all over Houston mm-hmm. and, and even beyond Houston, right? Spring, um, yeah. everywhere. Right. And, and give us more uh so the website maybe the phone number email and then I want to cu- I want to get to why you gave it the name you gave it. Right. Yeah, yeah. We do. Yeah, the website is Living Hope Wheelchair Association. You can find on Twitter and uh Facebook Living Hope Wheelchair Association. Oh, the Rod- URL Rodrigo's going to blow it up on Twitter yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. The <laughs> URL is L H W association.u.org so lhwassociation.org well you're doing amazing work thank you we'd love to give updates why don't we close by you telling us por que seleccionó este nombre y que lo animó crear este grupo tan importante porque mucha gente se puede nomas desanimar pero usted no bueno no solo fui yo fuimos varias cerca de maybe a person correct start this group so the name is the first the first name is Lat, uh, latin power wheel yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool latin yeah power wheel. yeah that's it's cool. the first name but maybe uh, 
two, three hours, two, three, two years, three years later, they uh, uh, force por uh, su sugestión yeah. de alguien más nos, nos dijeron que lo cambiáramos el nombre y, y, y nos pusieron tres nombres y ya este nos gustó. Mm. Living Hope, porque Living Hope es como vivir en esperanza. No, es lindo, mm. es, es lindísimo. Me gustan ambos nombres, pero este también. Yeah, yeah, the Living Hope is like a, a, all uh, people have an accident. It's Living Hope about life. So it's hope uh, have a, I had my accident 16 years ago. So I don't, uh, uh, when I when I have my accident, I think it's about two, three years ago, two, three years more later, maybe I die because I'm very, muy, fue muy fuerte. So mm. it's, uh, the name is coming for the other three guys. They uh, they come to the table and they say, I have this three names. With the membership, they deceive the, the Living Hope Wheelchair Association. Got it. And the rest mm. is history. Yeah. Well, fantastic. Well, we congratulate you both for all the work that you're doing. Yes. We definitely you. want to stay in touch. Uh, we'll, we'll put it on our website and let people know about it. And ojalá que nos visiten muchas veces, no? Claro. Muchas gracias. Thank you so much for all the work that you do. Hey, you know you're listening to this on Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say. We'll take a short musical break, and we'll be come back to talk about <laughs> Ursula, fantastic play that was just at the Cien Muros Theater Festival at Stages. Stay tuned.
Of course, you have come to expect great music, deep thoughts, great community organizations, and national issues. But also, it comes back to the art. We do want to give a shout-out to the crew bringing yeah, you this broadcast behind the scenes. Of course, Letty, Letty's working that board, man. Those fingers are flying. And she's a great music director. Thank you. And we got some crew members. Break them in. Break them in. Letty's doing an amazing job. I'm in all over here. Yeah. <laughs> Work your magic. This is Rodrigo. Hey, Rodrigo, you're blowing it up on Twitter. With Twitter fingers. <laughs> Uh, hi, I'm kind of new here, um, Stefano, and I'm uh, studying media production at U of H. That's what's up. Good what job. Year? What year are you? Uh, technically junior. Gotcha. Uh, Fantastic. Like years. Fantastic. Yeah, so we're happy to have them join the Thank crew. Thank you, guys. Marlene, big shout out to you, Marlene. As well. And, of course, you are dear listeners. It takes all of us then to get these wonderful artists lined up and then call them out. Right now on the line, we have with us Frida Espinosa Mueller, and she is the playwright who wrote the play Ursula, directed it, and acted in it, and it was also part of Caramia Theater's lineup. Got to see it as part of Sin Muro, Sin Fronteras, the Stages Festival for Latinx Theater. Are you on the line? Hello, everyone. Hey, hello. Uh, uh, thank you for having me with you. No, thank you so much. Uh, I want to tell you that I really did love that powerful performance. I got to see it over the mm. weekend. Te felicito. Awesome. awesome. Gracias. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And shout out to our familia out there with Caramia Theater. Eli, a dear friend of mine, he was there for a long time at with Caramia Theater from the beginning. And also uh, Don Lozano, got to hang out mm -hmm. with him recently. And I want folks to know that you are a Mexican-born artist. You hold a yeah. BFA in Dramatic Literature and Theater from the UNAM, Universidad Nacional Autónoma de México, and studied physical theater at the Diplomado Teatro del Cuerpo, very cool, in Mexico City, the EFE, which makes New York like a look like a small town. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's well, right. Yeah, verdad? <laughs> While there, you were part of the company Thespis from 1992 to 1997, you founded your own company in 1999, and you were a member of the artistic ensemble of Laboratorio de la Mascara from 2002 to 2004. In 2005, thank goodness, thank goodness, que viniste a Texas <laughs> to join Caramia Theater, a part of the resident ensemble. And uh, welcome, bienvenidos. Thank you again. Thank you again for having having me. I'm um, very thankful. Uh, uh, Ursula is a play that uh, we really want to start taking all around the country. We think it's a very important message that we are sending through it. And we just want to get it all over the place before election. Yeah. It, it's very yeah. intense, emotional, uh very, very well performed by you. Tell people a little bit about it. It is about the immigration issue, but it's about more than that as well. I, I don't want you to give too much weight either, but uh, titillate <laughs> folks. Um, it is um, mainly around um, zero tolerance policy and specifically uh, around the uh, detention center at McAllen that is called Ursula because it's an Ursula street. And it, it, all this is uh, from the perspective of a child. So um, what I wanted to, to show or to bring people to start thinking about it is, um, you know, the, the m most important thing that is how these kids, uh, and the, the healthy, the mental health of these kids uh, is just being um, through this experience is really, really harm uh, for them. So I wanted to just take a view of their humanity from the, you know, the human perspective of um, uh, I'm not saying that it doesn't have to be any kind of process for people coming, right, to live to the states, but um, this is certainly not the correct way to, to treat this. Right. Yeah. 
And the play is, is very complex. Everything from your acting to the scenery, which is minimal but very potent. You do a lot with it. And I do want to get I want to get to the point where you talk about, you know, your writing of it uh, and so forth. But the music, too. <laughs> yeah, music is fantastic. Uh, Armando Monsibais, who is also a member of the company, and we have met, uh, knew each other for many, many years and worked together for many years. And so I, when I start thinking about doing this piece, I immediately thought about him writing the music because mm. he's he's fantastic definitely and and it's all original to the play did you did you yes. how, how closely did you work with him to to give him the the nuances you wanted to get across in the perspectives yes i started writing first um and when i ha, ha, when when i get to have something that i thought and also um with um the artistic director of Caramia, David Lozano, he also thought that it was in a good uh, moment to start going on the feet. And then from there, I started working with, with Armando for the first uh, festival in Fuga that we uh, presented the piece. And this was in April 2019. And we were working together for about a month. Um, uh, I read with him, the the play, and then we were just talking about what feelings uh, we, we needed there and how music could uh, not only drive the action of the show, but also help um, audience to, to feel somehow um, what uh, Nadia, who is the girl in the in the story uh help them understand how what is happening to nadia what is going on with her inside right in her brain in her feelings mm. yeah you want to be a conduit to transfer those emotions yeah right right exactly i think it's beautiful to have our community members who are artists having this very profound discussion on an artistic level and combining all these different genres and saying, how do we appropriately convey this? How do we, you know, get people through these feelings and express through art some of the pain and suffering we're going mm -hmm. through and, and channel right. that? But this is very profound, high-level, you know, intelligentsia, art and feelings. Um you know, tell me some of the the, the challenges in, in having that discourse and, and trying to translate it into music because the music is very unique. And mm -hmm, it, mm -hmm. and you kind of had to pick pick the right songs to, to create those moods. You also mentioned, I think you put a lot of actors out of work because. Okay. <laughs> You act in it. You're writing it. Tell me everything you do in this play. Well, um, I pretty much did a lot in it. Um, I started writing, and just because it is, um, I, 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 from the beginning we thought uh, uh, about it in a for a, a solo piece, and I, it was really, really very personal in many ways. It becomes mm. really personal, even if it's not my own experience coming to, uh, to this country as an immigrant. I really felt like, you know, that, um, that, that yes, I mean, even if it's not my experience, it is. It mm. is. And all these kids that are over there, all these people that is uh, ha having this uh, experience somehow are our brothers, right? Right. Our mm. sisters, our kids, or could be uh, uh, our family members or friends. So I really, really took it very personal. And I started, I guess, for that reason also, like getting into um, just wanted to be so so involved. I, I, got, I got it very involved in thinking around it. So uh, while um, 
writing the piece, I started just building the, for example, the dolls, right? I'm I'm also like a, a puppet maker kind oh. of uh, a mask maker. So um, I just started doing it because I it it, it started to be in uh, a part of the process. I think it was also to create this pieces, this puppets, right? The, yes. the birds and the dolls. And then, uh, well, I um, kept writing and changing and switching things. I was already uh, using the, the, this prop, this uh, puppet, to, to try to, you know, improvise a little bit the scenes. And that was also helpful at the same time. So I guess that's the reason uh, because I, I I did like the puppets and then I did the writing and at the same time I I was directing me. Uh, so pretty much that's what I did. Um, write it and then started directing, creating the the puppets. And at the same time I was already thinking what was going to happen. So I was seeing the the. Elements because scenery is very simple, right? Mm -hmm. It's super simple. It's only the three stoves and then the three fences. So from from the top, I saw that and I didn't thought that I would need anything else as scenery. So yeah, but um, mm -hmm. if I may, I think you're right that that doll is powerful because. It looks like the the young girl. It looks like the mom. Looks like the grandmother. But also, there's the whole metaphor of: Are we puppets to some bigger system that right. is playing with us? And and then you know you've got yeah. all the little dolls and that little carrier too, like the kids in mm -hmm. the cages. There's <laughs> there's a lot of subtleties that that add depth to to what we're watching quickly, though. Mm. Yeah, I think there are somehow like um, metaphors yes. of the reality, and at the same time, it is like like we as girls we play with dolls, right? But dolls are also used for social workers actually to, to as a tool to see how kids are reacting, right, and how are they processing the experiences, and um, so all that started to make sense so quickly for me that I, I, I decided I this is my main prop, the dolls that are going to become actually the frames. Since it's a solo, I need uh, it is it is um, uh, this girl that is there in this uh, place with all these other kids, right? Because they, they separate kids by gender that uh, they will have around 20 girls uh, or, or boys in um, in a cage, right, mm -hmm. in, in this space. They separate them by 20 by 20. So, so yeah, I, I, I think it is. And things start coming together somehow. You start playing also with the, with the fences, and this big fence is, uh, is a, met a metaphor, right, of that, the, the, the attention center. But the little cage is also a metaphor, so it is like inside of the metaphor is another one with, with the dolls, the little cage with the dolls. It's like kind of a small metaphor inside of the big one. Hmm. And, and again, I want people to understand, we're, we're breaking down some of the the yeah. deeper aspects, but when you're in this it, this is not a superficial conversation, yeah. right? Absolutely, you're just yeah, yeah. feeling it, and, and and it is very intense. It's like cliff notes, you know. Exactly. Now, um, we only have about two minutes left, but uh, cuéntanos a little bit more about: is your next? Uh, are you dedicating your time now to touring this? Are you working on another piece? What's what's up coming up next for you? Um, right now, I will keep working on Ursula. We are planning on doing an um, opening of, um, on August. And after that, uh, we want to make a tour around uh, Texas, at least, uh, before elections. That's gotcha. our goal. That's our goal uh, now. Um, but um, from 
today to August, we may have little presentations of the way it is right now, uh, the, the way we presented at Sinmuros. Um, we are thinking uh, about some changes. Right, that, that's why we haven't called like uh, we already have like you know the premiere, but um, but I think right now we are getting to the point that we feel that is minimal. The adjustments that we need to do is feeling pretty solid, and definitely it's a word that we want to keep taking. Now yeah. let me, let me ask you this: that that's oh. smart that it's a one-person show because then you can't tour it easily. Uh, right, you don't get ten actors to to have to move around with it. But let me ask you this though: it is it is of course you know um, a very high level production. So I could see why it's at stages. I could see it at other premiere houses here in Texas. But are you ready to do it like in you know a street theater también or, or because? Yes. It, oh man. Yes, yes definitely. What, what, <laughs> the idea of this production and making it. Because it's very simple in many ways, the scenery, for example. I, we think that that allows us to take it to, you know, uh, classrooms or um, uh, church room, um, different places. Even, I don't know, outside, but maybe, maybe too. But um, wh what we are uh, using as a very, very important element is music and, and mm -hmm. sound. To, to help the the play um, happen and mm -hmm. and but uh, we can definitely do it outside of the theater. Nice. Oh, that's it powerful. Is, it is, yes, lighting is beautiful if we have lighting, mm. but it is we think that it is possible to to take this play to uh, to to places where it's not uh, an actual theater. Especially mm. as the elections come up, and I think right, exactly. I think yeah, we time, need yeah. to talk to some of the candidates to to incorporate that and of course keep us posted cuz that's something we would totally love to 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 help uh spread so felicitaciones uh thank can, you thank can, you can you tell people how to follow you on social media sure we um we are caramia theater company and um this is a production of caramia and it's caramiatheater.org Right, that's the website, and we're also on Facebook at Caramia Theater. Oh, my personal that is Frida Espinosa Mueller, and I'm all the time also posting whatever we are <laughs> nice. doing with Ursula. And mainly that uh, there is, um, let me see, there is uh, something else that Caramia have. But, um, I, I, I will say that mainly the webpage and then Facebook. Perfect, perfect. Thank you so much. Uh, appreciate you calling in, and we will do updates. Hey, great thank show, guys. Yeah, great show, everybody. Thank you so much for inviting me, and thank you, everyone. Un abrazo grande. Hey, this Gra is Tony Diaz, Libre Toficante, signing out. This is Letty. And Rodrigo. And Stefano. All right. We'll catch you next week. Thank you. Ciao. The KPFT Author Lecture Series honoring Black History Month features Dr. Benjamin Talton, author of In This Land of Plenty, about the work and influence of Mickey Leland on African politics. Tickets are available at $20 for the Saturday lecture and $20 for the Sunday roundtable at Brown Paper Tickets at kpftlectureseries.bpt.me. Tickets at the door on either day will be $25. For more information, please contact 713-526-4000 or email membership at kpft.org. You're listening to 90.1.